Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Read one of the most profound books I've ever read in my life. I would read another couple of pages, I would put it down, and I would shake my head at the level of this man's revelation. I mean, my gosh. How does he do this? The chap's name is C.S. Lewis. The name of the book is The Great Divorce. Now, who buys a book called The Great Divorce, right? What a stupid name for a book. I mean, what was his publisher thinking? The Great Divorce, you know? Who goes into the bookshop and says, uh, looking for a book, not sure what I want to buy? Oh, I know. I want to have one of them great divorces. Oh, get that book, The Great Divorce. This will tell me how to divorce greatly, right? Wrong. Uh, that's not what the book's about. So the, the title is a little um, mis- misleading. Um, it's a profound book about, about heaven and hell, actually. Uh, you know, the great divorce has a few applications. The whole idea of the marriage um, supper of the lamb, you know, so that you miss, that's the divorce. You don't get to marry Christ. There's that divorce in there. there another divorce in there, and I'll get onto the subject tonight in a minute, um, is uh, there's a thought out there today about yin and yang. You know, like good and evil dwells together. Um, in this book, he completely blasts that myth out of the water and basically says good is one thing, evil is another, and the two never join. Um, and the way he communicates that, as I said, just blows my mind. But his, his, this is the interesting thing, his definition of hell, and you've got to remember, Cecil didn't grow up in church. He didn't get all the, you know, the, um, the, the Sunday school stories about hell and all sorts of stuff. C.S. Lewis's academically uh, thoughtful position on hell is everybody gets what they want. Now, if that sounds like heaven to you, <laughs> you're going, it doesn't sound like hell. I thought... I dream about winning lotto, right? I dream about getting everything that I want. Well, you won't want to miss one moment of the next four weeks. How to get what you really, really want. Next Sunday night, we'll commence that. Then once we're over that, uh, I'm heading off to the dancing bean. Young and sweet, only 17, whatever it is. <laughs> is that how the song went? Anyhow, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> Have... Um, have you ever ever thought to yourself, have you ever, the, the alarm's gone off in the morning, right? And you're lying in bed. And you think to yourself, oh, I don't want to go to work today. <laughs> don't put your hands up. Have you ever thought, oh man, I just wish, you know, I could win a lotto. I, I just wish someone would leave me a million dollars and I'd never have to work again. Who's ever dreamt of having enough resources, enough capacity enough finance to never have to worry about work yeah okay this with such enthusiasm in still because i'm going to kill you in a minute sorry i shouldn't have done that <laughs> that was that was a dirty trick on my part uh, i didn't realize till you said yeah <laughs> um i hope to take that thought that big idea and put that to bed tonight um uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 actually talks about this. We shared 29, 7 is the popular, 6 is the popular verse, you know, um, work for the prosperity of a city. We, we're going to run into that verse in a moment, but I want to lead up to that by the preceding verses. So let's just get into it and see what it says. If you've ever had that thought, then you're going to be interested in what I've got to say. It says, this is the text, verse 1 of Jeremiah 29. 
This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and the priests and the prophets and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar, who remembers Nebuchadnezzar from last Sunday night? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Just give you a little bit of background what's going on, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar, I said last Sunday night, was one of the most powerful people that have ever lived. Uh, probably uh, in the top five powerful individuals of human history. Nebuchadnezzar could flick his fingers and make things happen. He was an, an amazingly powerful person. And uh, he would go in the cities and the countries, whatever, and he'd plunder and take. And, and his modus operandi, right? He was a smart dude. His big thought was, I mean, he, you know, he was the brains behind the hang, hang, um, gardens of Babylon. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most uh, forward-thinking, uh, great leaders the world has ever known. He would go into countries, in this case it's Israel, and he'd take all of the leadership, right? All of the brainy people, all of, the, all of those who were educated all of those who had leadership on their life. And he'd take them out. He'd leave the workers there to keep the fields, you know, um, working over, getting the uh, produce and the, and the animals looked after, which then he would take. And he'd take all of the, uh, the trendsetters, if you will, all of the thought shapers. He'd take them back to Babylon with the idea of creating um, Babylon's thoughts in their mind, thus reducing his need for military intervention in that nation. In other words, he would try to deculturalize the nation by reculturalizing the intelligentsia, the, the, the upper class. That was his, his big idea, and that's what he did. And, uh, and Jeremiah writes this letter, and I'll tell you why he wrote this letter. Because there were people who were saying to these leaders and the priests and the prophets and everybody else like that, they were saying, don't go down to downtown Babylon. It's a bad place. Stay on the outside. Um, don't let them drag you into it because it's full of bad people. It's full of bad things. And we will lose our, you know, our Israeli, our, our Jewishness. And uh, we will be gone forever. So stay, hang on to your heritage. Hang on to who you are and don't go into Babylon. And this is what um, Jeremiah says. This, they get this letter from God by Jeremiah. And basically what Jeremiah is saying, that's not God. God's not saying that. God is saying this. This is what the Lord God in, uh, where are we now? Uh, verse 4. So we skip a couple of verses. He's just sort of introducing um, where he's coming from. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me just stop there. Because two powerful things just happened. And I wonder if you picked them up. Did you pick up um, the paradox between the first verse? Did you pick that up? Uh, I'll just read it again. You might have missed it because I, I went on a bit. Uh, um, where, where does it say? Here we go. Uh, verse 1, the prophets and all the other people, Nebuchadnezzar, had carried into exile from Jerusalem. Did you pick it up now? Back to verse 4. This is uh, what the Lord God Almighty says to all those I ah, have carried into. So here's, here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. What am I doing here? Is it God or the devil? Have you ever asked that question? <laughs> How did I end up, you know, in this family? You know, is it God or the devil? <laughs> did, did, did I get this job? Was it God or the devil? My goodness, this is a terrible place. I live in a terrible place. Terrible things are happening. God, get me out of here. Clearly, Satan has put me here. 
come back and have another look at that. Let me explain this to you. Because the culture of the day has brought them there. And the head of the culture of the day is Nebuchadnezzar. But God has used the culture of the day to get them there. So in actual fact, there is, there is no, um, there's no argument here. There's no opposing forces here. Nebuchadnezzar and God, believe it or not, are the same force. Or the culture that has arrived you where you are and the will of God for your life is the same thing. That's what you have to realize. And so this is what he says. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Uh, Do not decrease. Also, and here's the verse, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity uh, of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Three things God just said to these people, and three things that he says to you, by the way, because these people is you, if you haven't picked it up, and I'll explain why these people are you. Um, the Bible in the New Testament talks about the fact that we are aliens, right? Uh, first, uh, Peter, James talks about the fact that we are not, we, we, we are not, uh, uh, inhabit, we, we are not the indigenous of the land. Um, we are aliens. We belong to another place. We belong to another land. And, uh, but what he's saying to us here is don't live as tourists. Don't live as people passing through. He gives us three clear directions that, that are very meaningful about who you are and what you do. Number one, he says, love and settle down. Don't separate or withdraw. Love the people, love the place, and move into it. Settle into it. Eat the food, trade. Um, involve yourself in commerce. Work. <laughs> Get a job. Work. And uh, number one, number two, don't take on their value system. Now, again, these two things can be diametrically opposed. And this is hard for you. This is hard for me. And I'm going to explain the tension in this in a moment because there's huge tension here. How do I get involved, right? How do I embrace this world but not replicate its values? That's what he's saying to them. Uh, uh, and then he says, love them, pray for them. He's telling them to do three things. Get involved with them. Don't become them but love them. And those three things he says to everybody who is, in a sense, an alien. In other words, this is not your home because the Bible is clear that our home is heaven. So tomorrow, many of you in this room, if not all of you in this room, will go somewhere. The alarm will go off, you'll make breakfast, you'll have a shower, get dressed, whatever it is that you do, get on a bus, get on a car, and head off to a school, head off to a, uh, an educational facility, head off to a workplace, or head off somewhere to do something. And what I'm saying to you is this, you have to own that place as if it was your own. And it's easy, isn't it? Sometimes you get in this place, you go, these mobber, these, these, this is full of a mob of losers. You know, they lie, they cheat, they steal. You know, things aren't going well. I don't want to say this, but I'm gonna, because it grieves me to say it. But I even reckon there are people, and I sure don't want you to put your hand up because I'm sucking you in big time, so don't put your hand up. (laughs) I reckon there are people here who said something like this. 
if only I could work at a church or something, then my life would be so much better. You're a fool. That's a nonsense. That's, you see, you, you've got to appreciate. Um, the Bible says in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, God did this. So they would seek him and prepare, uh, and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he's not afar from any of us, he has appointed our times and places. God has appointed our times and places. You're, you're to- where you are and what you do has been appointed by God. And these people could have walked around the city and gone, oh man, I miss home. You know, what did we ever do wrong? Why did we get dragged off here to Babylon? Oh, I remember back in Israel. I remember back in the old days. You know, you'd walk down the street and there would someone erect an idol or something to a foreign god and you'd stare at it, you'd point at it, it'd be ripped out immediately. Yeah, our God's in charge, you know. And and we knew what was happening and the way it would happen and there was a a sense of of moral uh, virtue that kind of, you know, uh, uh, hung in the air. And, And here we are in this debauched, horrible, self-centered, low-life place called Babylon with every kind of debauchery that's going on in every, every corner of the street and I just can't stand it. I want to go home. I want to go back to Jerusalem. And, I, and, and, and uh, Jeremiah's writing them and saying, stop feeling sorry for yourself and start loving the people where God has put you. Stop wishing you work for me. Uh, <laughs> Stop wishing that some, oh, I just want to, you know, honestly, folks, uh, some, oh, I just want to be a traveling evangelist, you know. I just want to be a prophet of the Lord. You can be an evangelist and you can be a prophet right where you are. And that's the idea. And we, we've got to get rid of this kind of secular, secular, sacred and secular mindsets. There's somehow this thought, this thought or this idea that, you know, oh, well, I've just got a, I've got a job where I earn money. No, you don't. You have an opportunity to serve God. That's what you have. You see, um, uh, every day stuff comes over our, over our bow and we go, oh, how do we handle this? And, and, and this is what you've got to try to understand. You're an ambassador, Right? Now, now the role of an ambassador is a really, and that sounds all inspiration. Oh, I'm an ambassador. Oh, I got myself a new suit. Uh, the role of an ambassador is not an easy one. Because what an ambassador has to do is interpret to country A what we mean from country B through their prism of understanding. So we're country B, the kingdom of God. This is a different country, right? And so you're leaving this country with principles and values that, that, that are bound and, and, and founded in the Word of God, and you're going to a country that's completely opposite to this. But you're there as an ambassador of that country. And so what you have to do, and I have the greatest respect for you, because this is not easy. You have to try to communicate to that country the idea from this country, but in a, in a language they understand. And if you talk to an ambassador, if you read anything about people who are ambassadors, you find out they are educated, thoughtful, serious people because they've got a serious job. You're a serious person. You have a serious job. But your job is so, so, so very important. Isn't it funny how God comes to earth? Now, if God came as a Roman, 
he would have come to earth as a conquering general you would imagine because that's you know the roman army thing if he was greek he would have come as a ruling philosopher and he would have had minions doing all his work for him you know peeling his grapes and pouring his wine and you know fanning his body and he would have been this this greek ruling philosopher but when god comes to earth what does he come as a chippy think about that a baby chippy he grows up and he becomes a carpenter why does god become a carpenter surely he's got something better to do with his time than sand trees right i mean surely there's something better to do than measure and cut measure and cut measure and cut but god thought it was so important to have work that when god came to the earth he embraced work in fact jesus said when he was you know when he was teaching he said i'm about my father's work work is important to you work is important to who you may who you've been made so don't start dreaming of retiring you know you know i'm 40 you know five years if i can retire in 20 years ooh, you know so somehow that's going to answer all of your life's problems because it's not work is cornerstone to who you are and 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 absolutely pivotal in god's will for your life so rather than lying in bed in the morning and thinking it away wishing it away recognize that you're getting up as an ambassador for god embrace the city get involved in commerce but don't replicate its values now i'll just throw these verses in because i don't want to talk much longer um uh, daniel uh 1 8 this is you know daniel's the model daniel's in babylon right he was one of the 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 the, the nobles and it says in daniel 1 8 now daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself so daniel turns up on the scene and he lives out exactly jeremiah's word i'm going to work for the prosperity of the city and he finished up becoming one of its chief uh, officials uh, daniel gave himself to the welfare of those people but he never embraced their culture and it cost him dearly and i'm telling you now what i'm saying to you tonight is no easy thing this is gonna cost you dearly people will hate you because of what i'm about to say right they would rather you embrace our culture and our values or go away that's what we'd rather either come along like us with us or go and find someone else somewhere else in your little church and go and hang out with them but but they don't want you there because unless you embrace their values you actually become an offense to them to the point where they may just do to you what they did to jesus and that's crucify him so please don't think what i'm saying tonight is some rip rip yahoo let's all go out amen for jesus well, i'm actually what i'm saying to you tonight is so tough we're going to anoint you with oil in just a few minutes time because this is serious stuff because you're going to have to tell the truth when the boss tells you to lie right? you're going to have to give up a contract that with a little bit of deception you could have embraced because it doesn't fit the value system of the kingdom this this is this is tough tough stuff make no mistake 
uh, about it. Because the value of the kingdom is at dire metric opposition with the values of this world. And let me give you just a real quick little example. Uh, the, the, the number one value of this world is me. That's the number one value. Number one value is it's all about me. I'll be in a relationship with you as long as it benefits me. Right? As long as you make me feel good, as long as you do what I want you to do, as long as this is you know, on the cost-benefit analysis is working for me, as I feel self-actualized, I feel embraced, I feel loved, I feel, you know, whatever, whatever, I'm staying with you. But when I don't get it from you anymore and I get it from you, see you later, you, hello, you. I'm going for it because it's all about me. That's the number one value of the world system. The number one value of the world system is self-advancement. How do I get ahead? How do I look after number one? Let me apply that to three areas of your life. Sex, money, and power. Anyone not thought of sex, money, and power since we started? No, don't put your hand up. Let's take sex for a minute, right? I mean, sex is something that can be completely and utterly about you. It's just all about, I want to get what I want out of you. There's something about you that I think I want in me, so I'm going to see if I can get it out of you. Or, sex is something where you give yourself completely and totally away with reckless abandonment to a point where you know this person now has all power over you and they can crush your soul, but you trust them. See, sex works either way. It's either, it's either a matter of giving myself completely away to somebody else or I can use it as a means to get what I want to satisfy my heart from somebody I want to conquer. It works both ways. So does, so does money. Money works both ways. So you, you, you can say, well, I want to get as much money as I can so I can do as many things I want to do. And, and I'm going to, you know, if, if, if somebody, you know, drops a wallet, I can take 20 bucks and no one's seeing. Well, that's <laughs> win for me, right? I'm in front. Because uh, uh, money is about my advancement. It's about me. Uh, as opposed to seeing money as a tool to bless others. And it's not about just giving a little bit away so it doesn't affect my lifestyle. It's about giving, recognizing that none of it's mine all belongs to God and I'm going to give it away so it does affect my lifestyle. See, see, money operates in both value systems completely differently. Power's the same. See, some people will use power to make their position secure and to, you know, aggrandize themselves, lift themselves up. Other people will recognize power, say, in the kingdom sense, if I have power, then my power is here to support you. I have to use my power to lift you up. I don't use my power to lift me up. My power is not about then positioning myself to only increase in power. My power is about positioning myself to give my power to you so that you are blessed and so that you are lifted. Sex, money, and power. Just put through those two different value systems. And let's face it, sex, money, and power exist in your workplace. Sex, money, and power exist in your school. Surprise, I know. And, and the question isn't, you know, um, how do we get rid of sex, money, and power? Because sex, money, and power, the question is, what's our perspective towards sex, money, and power? This last verse, verse 7, where he talks about praying for the peace of the city. The word peace there is a, uh, it's a Hebrew word, shalom. Many of you probably would know that, shalom. We translate that in the English as the word peace, but it's a pathetic translation. Um, you, would admit, you would need many words 
to translate the word shalom. It's just not about the absence of war, you know. It's just not about, you know, there's no conflict between me and my immediate family or me and my church or me and my boss. No, 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 no. This shalom is a prosperity. It's a prosperity of the soul. It means that you are prospering in health. It means that you are prospering emotionally. You are prospering relationally. You are prospering financially. In every aspect of, of, your, uh, of your life, there is this prosperity there. And we have to pray for the peace of the city where God has placed us. Recognizing that whilst we don't ultimately belong here, God has placed us here to get involved in commerce, to get involved in industry, to get involved in employment, so that we might be ambassadors for Him in that area and bring the kingdom of God into those spaces. And that in so doing, folks, they are not going to like us on occasions. Because we will not embrace their value system. We'll get involved, but we will come at it from a different angle. But despite all of that, we have to love them because you can't pray for the peace of anybody and not love them. Psalm 22 verse 6 talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And it's the same idea. If you're going to pray for the peace of Ipswich, the peace of Collingwood Park, the peace of Red Bank, the peace of Lady, the remedies that you live, if you're going to pray for the peace of that town, if you're going to pr play, uh, pray for the peace of, you know, if you're in the, um, say you're in the RAF, the, 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 the peace uh, for, uh, for, the, for the RAAF, or, or the peace for your company, or, or the, the peace for your school, or, or the peace of your educational um, institution, whatever it is that you do, wherever it is that you, that you go, you're going to have to love it. It's just not enough to, you know, walk in and hate it. If you walk in and hate it, then when you come out tonight for the anointing, ask God to break your heart for it. And, and see it like this, okay? See it like this. Don't see the fact that God's died for them. See the fact that God's died for you. See, isn't this exactly what Jesus did? Jesus left his ultimate home in glory. He came to this earth. And what did he do when he got here? He worked, <laughs> He got involved. He didn't just sit on the outskirts of town and throw rocks. He, he actually then called 12 people to be with him and he lived with them for three and a half years. He, he, he got himself, but he never embraced the value system of this world. He, he came with a different slant on, on the same old story and in the end it got him crucified. So if in the end you get crucified, <laughs> understand this that God will raise you up again. So if in the end, you hear me now, if in the end you lose because you're sticking with the principle of the kingdom, your loss is temporary. Your loss is short term. God will turn your loss into an overarching, uh, magnificent victory, which is exactly what happened with Jesus. Acts chapter 1, 8, and we're done. It says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we're going to pray in just a moment that the Holy Spirit would come upon you so that you might receive this power. But why do we receive this power? Everybody wants power. You know, uh, People want spiritual power. People want to be able to manipulate circumstances to their advantage. And so they might read a book on how to get power. But if you have a look at it, it says this. You receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you 
and you'll be my witnesses. <laughs> what does that mean? My ambassadors, someone who interprets the code of the kingdom in such a way that this community, that your school, that your work, that, 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 that your place understands it. You'll be able to interpret it. You'll be able to interpret what you've seen and what you've heard for those who are around about you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Just a moment, I'm going to get you to stand. In just a moment. Um, I am going to say this to you, however, that we're going to pray for you. Everybody in this room is going to be anointed with oil in the next 15 minutes. Um, don't expect, right? Don't, don't think, okay, yo, I'm feeling the power. I'm feeling the power. I'm feeling the power. I'm feeling the power. You know, I get up tomorrow. Oh, I'm not feeling the power no more. No, no, no. <laughs> let, let me tell you how this works. Peter never walked on the water till he got out of the boat, right? Too many people are waiting for something to be given to them that they can then use as they move forward. No, no, no. You receive it as you become that witness, right? As you step out, it's there. As you move forward, it's there. When Peter got out of the boat, it was there. It didn't, he didn't hover out of the boat. It didn't happen. There wasn't some unseen wind that went, you know, sorry. Peter popped out of the boat and then he was just gliding over the water. No, no, no. It took Peter to make a decision. I'm getting out. Well, I don't feel any different than everybody else in the boat. We all feel our weight. They're all fishermen. They all know that water doesn't hold human weight. But Peter said, I'm, I'm getting out. And, and Peter got out. Peter received power. He said, you will receive power when you decide. I'm that ambassador. I'm that witness. I'm that one. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to say it. But I know God's going to give me the words. I know God's going to put me in situations this week. God's going to put me in environments. Because I'm not here to fix, um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, to fix pipes or I'm not here to fix windows or, or I'm not here to, to, to train children. I, I, I'm not here just to learn. I'm actually here, positioned by God. My times and my places are in His hands. And I'm here, positioned by God for this moment to bring values of kingdom A, the kingdom of God, into kingdom B, the kingdom of this world such a way the kingdom be healed. Let's stand together, church, if you would.